Welcome to They Didn't Teach Us That in Seminary, the Broadmoor Baptist Church of Baton Rouge podcast.
Are you strong? Did you know God wants us to be strong? When I was a kid, I had this t-shirt with two muscular arms on it, flexing as though it were bodybuilder's arms. In the middle were the words, God's gym. Cool, huh? At the bottom of the t-shirt were the words, God's going to pump you up. Cool. And on the back were the verses from our passage this morning, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power. God wants us to be strong. Back then, I was all about the muscles, the mullet and the muscles, actually. I played football. It was all about being strong. We would compete in the weight room. I could bench press 250 pounds and do 100 push-ups in one set. It's a long time ago. But my faith was important to me, too. So I liked that T-shirt because I got to I got to combine two of my favorite loves, Jesus and being strong. Ephesians 6, 10 through 20 became one of my favorite passages in the Bible. Be strong in the Lord. Ephesians in first church was surrounded by images of strength. Paul knew every morning when boys and girls and men and women woke up and they walked outside their house, they saw displays of strength and power. They saw Roman soldiers in full armor, sitting atop mighty Roman horses from the mighty Roman Empire. They wore armor that covered their heads, their arms, their chests, their legs, and their feet. Roman soldiers were always prepared for an attack. Their enemies would target their weakest spots. And so they wore armor for protection to be prepared. Paul takes an image the Ephesians know well, and says to these Christians, be like the Roman soldiers. Be strong. Be strong in the Lord. Because if you're going to live in this world, folks, it's going to feel like a fight. Today, he might say, be like football players. Football's coming up on my mind, I guess. He might say, put on the helmets and the face mask and the shoulder pads for your shoulders and the thigh pads for your legs. Tape up your ankles and your wrists and include any other necessary protection you need to stand strong because football, football players without their pads and protections, without their helmet and the shoulder pads will not last long. They cannot endure the attacks of the enemy team. But we know that Paul is not talking about a war against flesh and blood. He says, 
For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. We're not talking about football or terrorists or war on terror or weapons or Star Wars. The forces we battle against are bigger, much bigger. He says not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, and cosmic powers. Rulers, authorities, and cosmic powers. That's big. Imagine a few of us up against something that big, up against the U.S. Navy, up against the United Nations, up against Amazon. That's big. But our enemy is bigger and invisible, stealthy. Our enemy is everywhere. David Buttrick says the real enemy can be found in our minds. In our minds, in the common thinking of this day that we've been brainwashed. We seem to think, but only with a twist in our thinking that we are warped. For example, if you felt compelled to tell people about living simply in life, would they hear you? Probably not, because they've seen too many pictures of SUVs and entertainment systems and the rich life. Or let's say you you felt compelled to stand up for peace in our age and the flesh and blood enemies of armies, nuclear bombs and drones and satellites and all those weapons. How can your voice be heard over saber-rattling and Twitter wars and nationalistic slogans? So your enemy... The church's enemy is much bigger. It begins in the mind, and then you can hear it in your thoughts. And subtly, they begin to take over. Reminds me of the editorial cartoon I saw in a newspaper several years ago in Atlanta. I remember it had a split panel. And on one side, it had... It had a bunch of army tanks, and it had some carriers, it had some battleships, and on top it had bombs and helicopters, and on the bottom it said U.S. war machine. On the other side, it had one simple drawing of a peace-loving president, and underneath it said U.S. peace machine. And I think it gets at the contrast that Paul is trying to give us that is not against flesh and blood, but against something much bigger. Paul's letter to the Ephesians was very fitting to those people living among war horses, armored clad soldiers, and mighty Roman Empire. Now, it may look against all those powers cosmic powers 
that our cause is hopeless. Who are we? What are we that we can match that kind of power? But our enemy is much larger and stealthier and closer. We could feel outnumbered, overwhelmed. There was a poster that came out in churches years ago. There's a tiny little clabber church, and just outside this little church, there was an X-rated movie theater. And then on the other side of the street, there was a munitions factory. And then it was surrounded by miles and miles of concrete and the interstate, cars backed up, and these two church members were on the front porch, and one of them said to the other, do you ever get the feeling that we're losing ground? You ever get that feeling today? Technology changes. It's the same enemy. Faces change, but the enemy remains the same. But it's no one's fault. And yet it's everyone's fault. It's not a person. It's bigger than us. We live and move in sinful, broken systems. You remember John Steinbeck's book? Remember the movie? The Grapes of Wrath? The sharecropper? The sharecropper wanted to know who was responsible for foreclosing on his farm. He went to the local banker. But it wasn't the local banker's fault because they had a board of directors. But it wasn't the board of directors' fault because they had thousands of stockholders. And the conclusion of that was that nobody was guilty because everybody was guilty. The system is broken. It's sinful. It's guilty. For our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against rulers and authorities, against the cosmic powers. So if we're going to keep the faith today, it's going to be a fight. What is a sweet little sermon up against a corrupt system or broken programs, dishonest governments or immoral societies? Those are big. You ever feel like we're losing the fight? Ephesians must have felt the same. Paul put this word at the end of his letter. And he begins it with one word, finally. Finally. That is, let me sum it up for you. If you don't read any of my letter, read this. This is the, the crescendo, the climax. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power. Be strong in the Lord. Now, why not just be strong? Join a gym, drink some power shakes, take a Pilates class. Why not amass some money, collect some weapons, build an empire? That's strong. Aaron Uiti put it like this. 
Paul's imperatives to be strong in the Lord and put on the armor of God expose the inadequacy of any human resources for spiritual battle. All human resources are inadequate for spiritual battle because we're fighting against rulers, authorities, and cosmic powers. So it appears we don't have a chance. Maybe that a Christian cause is hopeless. Except, except this. Dr. Butcher reminds us. It happens to be God's cause. It happens to be God's cause. Think David and Goliath. Peace is God's cause. Reconciliation is God's cause. Mercy is God's cause. Forgiveness is God's cause. Salvation and justice are God's causes. According to the New Testament, God is on the side of pennies dropped in a missions basket. Sweet little sermons on sacrifice. No name, nobodies, longing for freedom. And in the Bible, God's cause wins. In the Bible, one day, it says, the lion will lie down with the lamb. The rich will lie down with the poor. Republicans will lie down with the Democrats. It will happen. Because God says, one day, not even the earthly rulers, earthly authorities and powers can refuse God's will. One day this will happen. Not even the saber rattling under the cross of Christ could stop it. Not even the power of public opinion that cried crucify him could stop it. Not even the cowardly religious who supported the power over Christ to bring him a heretic. We are promised that as Christ resurrected that there will be a resurrection. A world where the lion and the lamb can lie down together. How do we know? Anybody in here ever read the last page of a book before you bought it? I know some people who read the last page before they buy a book, before they read it. They do it because they want to know if it's going to be worth it. The time, the money, the effort I put into reading this book. What kind of ending does it have? Well, we know God wins in the end because we've read the end of the story. We already know. It's worth it. But for now, for now we're still on the battlefield. Until that good day arrives, it's still a fight. 
We need instructions, though. Paul gives us some instructions on how to battle until that day comes. Notice there's only one weapon that we get. We're given one weapon. Now, the majority of, of our armor is for protection, for defense. But we're given one weapon, the sword, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We're given a word, a little word, right? Up against powers, cosmic powers, and rulers and authorities. It seems very small. There's a story about a Czechoslovakian underground. The Communist Party threw an amazing parade. There were massive tanks, trucked in missiles, battalions of lockstep soldiers in the parade. Suddenly, among all of that, a tiny little blue pickup truck wove in and out of that parade. It wasn't supposed to be. Wove in and out of that parade with the poster on the side reading, For God's sake, why? Dr. Buttrick says that may be a clue that this word, the sword of the Spirit, is a spoken word. It's a word to be spoken to those cosmic powers and authorities. I must confess, though, I've been guilty of misusing that word. All of us have. Using it to do battle, to win fights, for harm, perhaps, to alienate, to find scriptures that would justify my prejudices. And I confess that at times I have withheld that word when it needed to be spoken. Cowardly, timid Christian that I am. All of us have withheld that word at times when it needed to be spoken. Perhaps for fear. Fear of being labeled. A fear of losing friends. A fear of losing our job. When I was in Jordan, in the country, Jordan, years ago, our bus stopped in this ancient city called Jerash. We should go. There are ruins in this ancient city. It's amazing. While we were on our tour, a young Jordanian boy threw a big rock at our windshield, shattered the passenger side windshield of that bus. Happened to be the side I was sitting on. I couldn't see a thing. He threw it and then took off running. He had a message. I don't know what it was. But sometimes we do that with the word, don't we? We throw it, we take off running. We have a message. And Paul says, don't run away. Don't hide. Stay in the fight. Put on the armor. 
do battle. The word is your weapon. My last name is French. Not the word French, but it's French origin. I spent most of my life thinking it was German. But recently I discovered that my last name had a different spelling. It came from the southeast part of France, Ussel. There's a castle, the Ussel Castle, that's just across the country line in Italy. Ussels were French Huguenots. The French Huguenots were those who resisted Catholicism, the Lutherans, embraced Protestantism. They were Christian resistors. On June 23, 1940, one day after France surrendered to Nazi Germany, a pastor in that part of the country preached a prophetic vision to a little village church. He said this, The responsibility of Christians is to resist the violence that will be brought to bear on their consciences through the weapons of the Spirit. The weapons of the Spirit. Those Huguenots, those Huguenots would go on to provide sanctuary for over 5,000 Jews. Those Huguenots risked their lives to save 5,000 Jews. And why? Because they had discovered their weapons of the Spirit. You have them. I have them. Maybe you're wearing your armor now. Maybe you brought your sword. We're decked out for battle. Decked out with prayer, Christian truth, righteousness, salvation, peace, and the sword of the Spirit, the Word. These are our weapons for being strong. Don't run from the fight. Join the winning side. God wants us to be strong. God wants us to finish strong. Pray with me, please. God, we confess we don't always put on our armor in the mornings or we take them off during the day, we're attacked, besieged all around, weak spots exposed, and we lose the fight. Help us to be stronger, to strengthen our prayer life, to seek to be righteous. to speak truth, to share salvation and peace. Speak to our hearts this morning. Call us 
Help us stay in the fight. In Christ we pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to They Didn't Teach Us That in Seminary, the Baltimore Baptist Church of Baton Rouge podcast. Please like, review, and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube. If you have any questions, please submit them through the Anchor app, or join us on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. right in our own Baltimore Baptist Church in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Otherwise, I hope you have a good week.